0: So we've been studying our way through the chapter 16, just one chapter in Acts. Acts, of course, records the, the birth and the growth of the early church, just after Jesus had been on earth. And uh, we're following the, the life and the ministry of the Apostle Paul and his his uh, colleague Silas, who were in the city of Philippi. So we're going to start reading in verse uh, 27, Acts 20, 16, 27, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to finish the chapter this morning. Paul and Silas have been bringing people to Christ. There was a reaction. They were arrested. They were thrown in jail. And there was an earthquake that happened during the night as, they, as Paul and Silas had been worshiping and praying and singing. And uh, so we'll pick it up here in verse 27. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. I think in the Jewish culture, that's called chutzpah. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. So we're going to focus on verses 30 and 31 to begin with here, where the The jailer asked the famous question, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas gave the famous answer, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And uh, we're just going to explore that a little bit here. Two parts to Paul's answer. One part had to do with faith, believe. The other part had to do with the Lord Jesus, the object of their belief. Um, You know, there's a controversy sometimes, a discussion that goes on between Christians about repentance and faith. And, uh, and some, some Christians are concerned these days because they say, uh, all we talk about is faith and we don't talk enough about repentance. And repentance is important. And their concern is that uh, there are a lot of people running around calling themselves Christians whose lives haven't changed and, uh, and who perhaps haven't repented of their sins. They've just sort of come along to an airy-fairy belief in Jesus and, and it hasn't penetrated deeply enough to change their life. And they say, we need to preach repentance more. Not a wrong concern. And then there's the other side who who say, ah, yes, but you folks who preach repentance, you're asking people to change and stop doing this and stop doing this and start doing this and start doing this before you can really call yourself a Christian. And it's getting close to works where you've got to do stuff before you can be a Christian. A valid concern. So what's right? How do we balance repentance and faith? That's one question I have. And the other question I have is, when the jailer asks, what must I do to be saved, Paul doesn't mention repentance. He says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. So what's going on here? Was Paul starting to compromise his gospel and not talk about repentance? I would argue, not at all. It's there. Let's go looking for it. Some lessons. Lesson number one, repentance is present here, though the word isn't in Paul's answer. And the reason I say that is because nobody asks the question that the jailer asked, what must I do to be saved, unless repentance has begun its beautiful work in their heart. That's why you ask that question, is because you sense the need, and repentance produces that need and that change of thinking in your heart. An unrepentant person will not ask that question for two reasons. One possible reason is they don't care, which is representative of their non-repentance, or they don't think they need to be saved. So why would you ask for it? But the jailer asked and obviously sought salvation because God's work of repentance had already begun to happen in his life. Slide number two. where Paul at one point in, uh, in Ephesus was reviewing his, his message and he said, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. There he's got them both in the same sentence. Turning to God, repentance is, is, a, is a change, it's a turning, turning to God and then you place your faith in Jesus as your savior. Lesson number two, Most people think of repentance in terms of behavioral change. For example, I repented and stopped getting wasted every weekend. I repented and stopped sleeping around. I repented and stopped embezzling money, etc. But repentance is not first and foremost, listen to me carefully, it's not first and foremost a change of behavior. At its core, repentance is a change of heart. A change of mind. The word literally means that. The Greek word for repentance is the word metanoia. A combination of meta and noe. And uh, it means basically, literally, a change of mind. It's an internal thing that begins to happen, manifesting itself quite soon in changes of behavior. But the repentance is in the mind and in the heart of a person as they begin to see things Differently and embrace them differently. If your mind is fearful, your behavior will be fearful. If your mind and your heart is angry, then your words will be, and your actions will be, and your body language will be angry. If your mind is proud, your behavior and your words will be proud or arrogant. And, uh, and so it all, it all starts internally and manifests itself visibly uh, between us as uh, in, in community. The jailer sought salvation because something had changed within his mind and heart. Lesson number three. When you become a Christ follower, it's not the first time you have faith. Some people say, well, I'm not a person of faith. And, uh, but, and, 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 and I would dispute that and say, everybody is a person of faith. Everybody believes something. The atheist who says I don't believe in God and I don't believe in an afterlife, that's the description of his or her faith. They believe that, they can't prove that, but that's what they believe and that's their faith. So don't let anyone ever tell you, I don't have faith like you. Ask them some questions to reveal and uncover what their actual faith is, because they do believe something. Probably the largest religion in the world is not Christianity or Islam or Buddhism. It's the religion of people who believe that they are good enough to get into heaven on their own. They are looking to themselves to be their own savior. Uh, I've talked with many people who, and, and, and asked them about you know, heaven and eternal things and eternal life and the judgment day, and often the answer is, well, I'm a good person. Why do you expect to go to heaven? Oh, I'm a good person, and I keep the Ten Commandments as well as I can, and that is their faith that they can be their own savior and make it on their own. It's it's terribly mistaken scripturally, but that is the faith of so many people in the world. Do you know the people for whom it is hardest to come to terms with repentance? It's not the bad people. It's the good people because they don't see their need. They think they're okay. They think they're a good person. They think they're better than the average person. It's funny how the majority of people think they're better than the average person. That just doesn't make sense. But we tend to think that. And uh, and so it's the good people who are good citizens and exhibit good morals. I know some like this who don't see the need to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? You know the reason why God forbids us to try to be saved by good works? He absolutely says, don't do that. Is it because he's just being persnickety about something? It's because of his kindness. God forbids us to try to save ourselves by good works because he knows we can't. It's impossible. It's like standing uh, on the edge of Newfoundland, Cape Spear, is it? Uh, Looking out into the Atlantic Ocean and someone's going to dive in And you say, what are you doing? Where are you going? And they say, I'm going to swim to Ireland. And we must tell them quickly, don't, because you won't make it. It's a long way. And when someone says, "I'm, I'm a good person who can basically save myself and be my own savior, God says, don't. You can't do it. In his kindness, he calls us to faith in Christ who has done it. You can't do it. He has done it. Put your faith in him who has paid for your sins and can give you the gift of righteousness. Repentance embraces that truth. Repentance is a change of mind from being my own savior or maybe my church being my savior or some philosophy being my savior. It's a whole new change of mind and looking to Christ and all that he's done and all that he is to be my savior. Lesson number four. Repentance and faith are so intertwined and intermingled and interwoven that it's impossible to separate them when you really think about it. If I have true saving faith in Christ, I obviously have repented of being my own savior. If, on the other hand, I have had this change of mind about working myself into God's good books, then my mind has changed from something to something, from myself to Christ, As my Savior. Lesson number five good moral works do not produce salvation, but salvation does produce good works. That's why we call this message a faith that bears fruit. Slide three Paul says to King Agrippa later in the chapter of Acts, I preached. That they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. Repentance in the heart is invisible, but it doesn't stay invisible. It becomes evident uh, in our lives and in our behavior and in our words. At the heart of our new deeds and the works that come from embracing Christ, at the heart of everything we do is love. Love of God, love of neighbor. Jesus, what are the two greatest commandments? Love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. I begin to learn to love my spouse, perhaps, if I have one, or my children in a deeper way, my teenage children who are driving me crazy. I'm learning to love them, my boss, and my fellow Christians. There are two possible motives behind us doing good works. One is negative, it is I'm trying to obligate God to save me. On the judgment day, I would say, look at all that I did, God, you owe me salvation. No way. He doesn't owe us nothing. Excuse my English. The other reason for doing good works is because he has saved me, and I'm grateful. And I'm just, I'm not trying to pay him off or pay him back, I'm just expressing my gratefulness by responding to his commandments and living a life that would please him, a life of love, truth, and holiness. Slide number five. I love this little quote by Martin Luther. Back in the 16th century, we are saved by faith alone, but faith that saves is never alone. Something comes with it. It shows up in your life. That captures it so well. So let's turn back to the jailer's life here. I want to point out uh, a few of the beautiful fruits that appeared in his life immediately, like in the middle of the night. (laughs) You didn't wait for him to kind of grow spiritually for 18 months or so before he started looking and sounding like a Christian. He did immediately, like this struck deep into his heart. The first thing that he did, well, let me read Let me read it in verse 33. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Full stop. Remember I told you last week this was probably a hard man? He was a jailer. He dealt with criminals and obnoxious people and cruel people, and he had to be hard and cruel just to keep them in line and keep them in their cell. He had to suppress any emotions of kindness or compassion. He just, it was just the hard hand of the law, and he represented it as being the man in charge of the prison. Here he is washing their wounds. Bless you, jailer. All of a sudden, he saw people's pain, Paul and Silas, and he wanted to do something about it. Uh, Remember I said last week that was probably a terrible beating they had? Now, here's a little proof of it. They were wounded, and those wounds were infected, or could become infected. It wasn't maybe happening yet, and they were probably bleeding. And so he took them into his house, which I must have been attached to the jail or part of the jail, uh, and uh, uh, he began to care for them and wash their wounds. His whole family was involved in this. Wife, children, uh, whatever, was his family. Remember when Paul said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household? We're so individualistic today, right? Like, it's just, it's just, it's like our whole world is me. But back then, their whole world was their family. And so Paul said, You can be saved that way, and your whole family can be and will be. And the, and the jailer immediately gathered his family and had, had Paul preach the word to them, it says. And, uh, and it says that they all became Christians and, and were baptized. We'll see that in a moment as he's washing the wounds of Paul and Silas I could imagine the the kids in the the living room with their mother saying mom what's with dad what's he doing is that dad (laughs) looks like him and the mother's saying I don't really know this is good. He's changing. A faith that bears fruit. The second fruit. (coughs) See if I can find it here. So at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds and then immediately he and his family were baptized. In the middle of the night? Was there like a trough of water or something? We're not told. But he was. He and his family were baptized. How many were in his family? Don't know. Could have been one or two kids. Could have been eight. His wife and everybody was... Paul had preached and, and, uh, and they all looked to their father like, is this legit? He was saying, this is legit. And they, they all repented and believed right on the spot and were baptized right there. You know, as you read through the book of Acts, people got baptized immediately after coming to Christ, like fast. It was just... Closing the deal, you might say. Baptism doesn't save your soul, but it's evidence uh, that you have believed. It's your statement of faith. It is your identification with Christ. It is your way of saying, I am now a Christian and a follower of Christ. Christ commanded us to make disciples and to baptize them and to teach them to obey, etc. And, uh, and so um, baptism was part of their message. This is how you will express your faith. It's, it, we've, we've slipped away from that, uh, associating them so closely nowadays. We're going to have a baptism in March. And uh, I invite you, if it's overdue in your life, why don't you tell me and we'll, we'll baptize you. We'll set our tank up here and we'll splash water all over. And, and uh, it, it's a joyous moment. It's a joyous thing. It always is. When someone says, I'm a Christian. Baptism, uh, by uh, immersion, which we practice, puts a person under the water and lifts them out of the water. It's a picture. It's a picture of me dying and being buried with Christ. Paul literally says that in Romans 6. I'm, I'm identifying with Christ. I'm being buried with him. My old life is being buried. I'm being raised up now out of the water to a new life. And, uh, and that is how baptism occurred in the scriptures. My favorite baptism story... Uh, was uh, when I was single, lived in a household of single guys. One of them's here this morning. Well, more than one is here this morning, but one who I haven't seen for a long time is here this morning. And uh, he's, my friend, Ching Yu back there, is, uh, is uh, from Hong Kong, and he speaks Mandarin. And we had been associating with a Chinese graduate student on campus when we were doing outreach and that who was very interested in the gospel and uh, he used to call the Bible the Holy Bible." he would say, "I want to know more about the holy bible and uh, so we were sharing things with with his name was Zhu Quan, I believe, and uh, he was he was very interested one evening this was uh, after a Bible study in the evening in our house and uh, people were leaving, but I noticed my roommate, Ching Yu, was having an in-depth, intense conversation with Zhu Quan in Mandarin, so I had no clue, but I had a clue what they were talking about, but but uh, and and finally, after some time, Ching Yu said to me, Zhu uh, uh you know, uh, uh, then I saw them pray together in Mandarin, and he said, Zhu quan just accepted Christ as his savior, and I was like, "This is that's wonderful, that's great, I I shook his hand, you know, and, and uh, I don't know what I did. but uh, And then all of a sudden, Zhu Kuan gathered Ching Yu in, and they, they talked some more intensely, and Ching Yu was nodding and shaking and nodding, and, and finally he came to me and he said, Zhu Quan wants to be baptized. I said, that's great. Already he wants to be baptized. We'll do it Sunday after church. Then they went back together, more Mandarin back and forth, and he said, Zhu Kuan wants to be baptized tonight. And I said tonight. And I looked at Ching Yu, and he looked at me, and we said, let's get the guys and go to the river. This was October, (laughs) and it was about 10 o'clock at night, but we couldn't say no. And we got blankets and towels and flashlights, and we went down to the Speed River, and we baptized them. It was a joyous moment. It was like Acts and the jailer and his family got baptized that very night. So the next uh, fruit or evidence of salvation in, in the jailer's life was uh, says he set a meal before them. And so you know some some whether they must have had some food in the cupboards it's, I don't know I don't I, I don't know if they cooked a meal but probably not but but they had food and they set it before Paul and Silas and and I call this hospitality. Uh, hospitality is a is a very Christian thing. It's not an exclusively Christian thing. Lots of people are hospitable and it's wonderful. But you'll notice it in scriptures that it's a very powerful and uh, and a very Christian thing to do because hospitality is an expression of love and it's, it's you opening your life and your home, your space, your private space, and you're inviting people in. Hospitality doesn't necessarily mean an eight course meal around the dining table, it could. It just means you're inviting people into your life. It could just be coffee. It could be you saying to someone, why don't we, why don't we meet at Williams and, uh, and uh, get to know each other better? That's hospitality. That's inviting them into your life to, to know them and to care about them. So those of you who come regularly here to Grace Community Church, this is our church. This is our space. But visitors come here all the time, pretty well every week. That's wonderful. Welcome to our visitors. We, though, should be hospitable to our visitors. We should be friendly. We should be interested in them. If we see them standing alone, looking a little awkward in the hallway after service, we should go immediately to them, tell our friends that we want to chat about, about the, you know, the latest pair of shoes I bought. But no, we're going to go and talk to the visitor first. We'll talk later about the shoes. You know, like make it a priority to love strangers. The word hospitality in Greek means, is, is the word philoxenos. And it's a combination of philo and xenos. Philo means love, xenos means strangers, a love of strangers. Very important. Once I was visiting a church uh, up near our cottage on the Bruce Peninsula. And my family and I were there, and (coughs) it was was great. It was good. And uh, after the service, it's nice to be a visitor sometimes. It's very important. If you're not here next week, I hope you're visiting another church and feeling like what it means to be a visitor, but make sure you come back. (laughs) I was visiting this church after church, but they had a lovely foyer, and I was standing in the foyer, and I kind of said to myself, I wonder if anybody will talk to me, and I stood there uh, alone for a while. Nobody came to talk to me. Finally, I thought, well, the heck with that. I'm going to talk to somebody. And I spotted a guy standing by himself about 12 feet away, and I went over and introduced myself to him, and I said, how long have you been coming to this church? And he looked at me, and he said, this is my first time here. There's the two of us standing there alone, no one reaching out to us or being hospitable. I I hope it was an anomaly (coughs) on that morning in their church, but let us not allow that to happen and uh, reach out and care for people in our midst. So the jailer was hospitable, and he set a meal before them and cared for them. The last thing, the last fruit in the jailer's life, it says that he was joyful because he'd come to believe in God and all of his family. And, uh, and, and the joy, the joy uh, comes from two places. The number one place the joy comes from is that all the big questions in your life are answered in Christ. Your past is now dealt with. Your guilt, your shame, whatever, you know, with the song we sing, I left shame at the door, you know, however that goes. But uh, the cross is our place of atonement and forgiveness for our past. It doesn't change our past, but it changes the way we look at it and understand, and it's power over us. And, and there's joy there. There's, there's joy in, in the future. My life is bound up now with Christ on this earth and forevermore. That's a joyous thing. It brings me joy in the present. I got meaning and purpose now to live on this earth. There's joy in that. There really is. So many people lack it and struggle and search into all kinds of destructive things, trying to find what only Christ can give. And the second place that joy comes from is the Holy Spirit. When we come to Christ, God places his spirit in our life immediately. And one of the characteristics of the Holy, you know, we call him the Holy Spirit, right? We could also call him the joyful spirit or the compassionate spirit. He's he bears many fruits in our lives. One of them is joy and peace. And so the jailer was filled with joy. Let's finish the story quickly here. So uh, the next morning, the, the word comes from the magistrates. Okay, let those guys go. Hope they learn their lesson. You know, let they can, Paul said no, no, no. And then Paul lists off some things. I, I, I love this about Paul. I mean, if that had been me, I'd have been gone. Like, okay, I'm out of here. But not Paul. <laughs> I think he did this for the Christians in Philippi. I think he stood his ground and held the authorities accountable for something wrong that they had done so that the Christians would, would have protection, you might say, would, would have a status and protection after he was gone that the authorities would treat the Christians better. Uh, and, and, uh, and so Paul said, you, you, you beat us publicly. We didn't have a proper trial. You threw us in jail. And I could see the, the the guards, the escort, saying, yeah, yeah, so what? Yeah, we do it all the time. And then Paul's coup de grace was, and we're Roman citizens. And they said, what? Because you don't do that to Roman citizens. You give them a fair trial. They're proud of their justice system. They had treated these men wrongly, not knowing they were Roman citizens. And so Paul said, that's what we are. And all of a sudden, there was a panic in the authorities, the, 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 the whoever, the the. They went back and told the magistrates. The magistrates came. They were concerned. They tried to appease Paul. They said, basically, we're sorry. Uh, Would you please just leave quietly and we'll let all this die down? So before Paul left, Paul and Silas, I like what they did. They went to Lydia's house. Remember, she was hosting the church. They went there. The brothers and sisters had gathered. And it says simply, they encouraged them. Oh, I would love to have heard the stories they were telling. Probably there a couple of hours, you know, talking about the jail and the earthquake and the jailer and his family and, and oh, how good God has been. And, And then it says simply three words at the end of the chapter. Then they left. I could see Paul and Silas walking down the road. And they get, you know, far enough away from the city and Paul would say, did you see the look on those magistrates' faces? And Silas would say, "Yeah," and it was a knee-slapping uh, speculation on my part, a knee-slapping, uh, almost tears-in-your-eyes time of laughter. These guys were fun guys, don't you think so? They had the joy of the Lord. They're proud. Oh, you should have seen those guys! You know, going on after we told them we were Roman citizens, wasn't that funny? And uh, and, and and Paul would slap Silas on the back, and Silas would go, "Oh, <laughs> sorry, Silas. How's your back?" not too good. Ask me how my heart is. How's your heart? It's full of joy. Let's pray. Lord, our prayer and our hope is that your spirit will continue to speak to us as we leave here and will lead us in that beautiful repentance that brings joy. And that beautiful faith that secures us in Christ. So that all of our lives will bring you glory. Praying in Jesus' name, amen.